Father, as we bow before you on this Sabbath day, giving you praise and song and honor you with our minds and hearts, we pray that you will guide each of us this day as we delve into your word. We pray that you'll reach the others, too, through these words in their minds and understanding the word and in their hearts to have a desire to live that word in what they do each day of their lives. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us this day as we delve into what you have for us and that these words would not be mine but yours and that we would all be edified by the strength and power of your word. So this prayer and petition we ask in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Maybe seated. I was asked if uh, I was going to give the message today, and I said, yeah, in a manner of speaking. In Psalm 139, verse 14, we read, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Now, there is a translator called Kenneth Taylor who translated it this way, and I thought it was very effective. He says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about your workmanship is marvelous. It's the first really that says it all. Too many people, sadly, don't have that astute observation. Especially evolutionists, which I want to talk about today. A central teaching in public high school classes today is that all life evolved from a cell a single cell that emerged from a dead chemical soup into the infinite complexes of the animal kingdom and plant kingdom that we see today. The theory of evolution is attractive to the humanistic mind because it eliminates the need for a creator. It's the only thing that answers creation other than Yahweh himself. The only only thing that they can come up with to show that creation was not according to what Yahweh says in his word. So they don't need Yahweh. Without a creator, you don't need the Bible. You don't need to answer to any powerful authority in your life. Nobody but yourself. You can live the way you please and be guilt-free to do it. The atheists had at last found a religion that frees them from any and all constraints morally and physically, no guiding principles, no reckoning when it's all over, just living naturally and doing what you want. If they admit there's a creator, of course, then they might have to change their behavior and be accountable to him, but a big kickback of evolutionary creed lying just below the surface is human devaluation, and that's what it leads to. Without Yahweh, Everything implodes. Without the Bible, this world would self-destruct like one big tower of Babel. Humans and their sin would proliferate until man totally destroyed himself. Our country and world and our world are on that treacherous path right now, as we can see every day. As they busily remove Yahweh, sin and destruction take over at the other end. More and more of that. Therein lies a huge moral problem with this theory, and it's just a theory. It's not fact, like a science teacher told me, the fact of evolution. 
No, it's, it's just a theory. It's an idea projected out there, and then they're trying to prove that it's true. That would be fact. If we don't believe in a creator who gives the world proper ethics and right standards of behavior, many of our Western laws are, are based on scripture, by the way, then human behavior inevitably just disintegrates, denigrates, degenerates. Atheism's partner in crime, which is uh, secular humanism, will take control. And like it or not, the world derives its understanding of right and wrong from Yahweh's word. Just the way it is. But if Yahweh designed and created us and has a great plan for his people, we may want to know more about him, you know? If he will... If we will all stand before his son as the judge, because there's a plan ahead of us, who will decide our eternal future, we may just want to take a serious look at his book and what he says and what he did. Before the middle of the 19th century, most people believed that all things were created, as the Bible says. Even genius scientists of the 17th and 18th century believed in creation. Then in 1859, a man with a theology degree and aspirations for the ministry published a book called Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. The man was Charles Darwin. And paradoxically, this seminary grad and father of evolutionary theory had a blistering contempt for the Bible. He wrote that the Old Testament was no more than to be trusted than the sacred books of Hindus or the beliefs of any barbarian. Within 50 years, most of the Western world and the scientific community had confidence in Darwin's leading within 50 years, who single-handedly destroyed for millions of belief in the Bible. But I will show some clear reasons why evolution is an unbelievable, impossible myth why his teachings that nothing produced everything is scientifically and mathematically nonsense, as well as counterintuitive, logic-defined, and contrary to plain common sense. As for Yahweh's creation, Romans 1.20 tells us, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. We can see Yahweh in everything, is what Paul says. As we look at creation, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and majesty, so they, they are without excuse. We can't see his power and majesty personally, but we can see it in everything that he made and the complexity of what he did. Let's start simply, the same way evolution claims living creatures started. Evolution says all life sprang from a single living cell in a primeval chemical swamp. But where does the life in that living cell come from? Unexplained. But where does this living cell come from originally? From dead matter, the evolutionist says. The cell, if you've ever looked at it, is breathtakingly complex. Breathtakingly, it is amazing. It's a factory, a city all in itself. And it's the cells in our body that give us life and function. It's the basic operational part of our body. 
French chemist and microbiologist Louis Pasteur, I believe he's the one that gave us pasteurized milk, that's where the name comes from, proved 100 years ago that non-life cannot produce life. 100 years ago, he figured that out through his experimentations. Each organism requires parents, requires something to give it life. Never has anything non-living produced life. Zero times zero is zero, even after billions and trillions of years. And where did this perfect chemical soup, this swamp, come from that produced the first living cell? No trace of it has ever been found on this planet. No reproduced, uh, another variety ever been evident which a Dr. Wilder Smith calls the myth of the prebiotic soup. But where evolution really fails is explaining the mechanism by which it supposedly happened. How exactly birds progress from reptiles? That's, their, that's the theory. How blood clotting could advance when the first animals that got cut bled to death and didn't have blood clotting. How did that work? You have to show the mechanics of it, and that's where evolution fails. They cannot show that. All living cells operate by unimaginably complex DNA molecules, which is where the genetic code originates, where it resides. DNA is the genetic material carrying all the instructions for the function of the cell itself. There are 15,000 or more atoms of the subassemblies of a single DNA molecule. Left to chance, as the evolutionary theory speculates or says, requires, says that means the odds of a single functioning DNA molecule coming together at random are about the same odds as filling a billion universes with golf balls and putting a single red dot on the bottom of one of them. And somehow a blindfolded baby could find that ball while rummaging through a hundred billion galaxies on the very first try. In the DNA of every one of your cells is a blueprint for producing another one of you. Another one of you and every one of your cells. How about that? The instructions for making you are there in all of your cells. The human body has 100 trillion cells. Lined up side by side, all the cells in your body would encircle the earth 200 times. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, brethren. If all the DNA in your cells were placed end to end, it reached the sun and back 400 times. The cell is like an extremely complex factory, and on its surface, millions of openings open and close, open and close constantly to allow a stream of material to flow in and out, like nourishment and waste and so forth. For even the simplest cell to work, it needs a mind-boggling complex of internal structure, perfectly working in harmony. If not, the cell dies, and so do you. 
for this overwhelmingly synchronization to happen by random chance is a statistical impossibility. It will not happen. How did the many varieties of cells know how to connect and interact with each other? And why would they know to do that with no thinking mechanism in their non-existent brain? How how would they know that? What, What design? How do they just lie in there? How do they know what to do? And each cell has specific things it does. You've got all sorts of different kinds of cells. You've got bone cells, brain cells, nerve cells, blood cells, all sorts of different kinds, each doing a job. How did they know that? How did it work? Well, evolution doesn't know. It just says it's there. And one developed into another. It's a study in, in the miraculous each carries out a necessary purpose to keep you working and living and you know, doing what you do. Were the various cells aware of their critical tasks? How did they know that? Did they each have an outline for their purpose? No, they just fell blindly into it, evolution says, over billions of years, of course. Yahweh thunders in Romans 121, because that when they knew Elohim, they glorified him not as Elohim, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. I like that part. It's an imaginary thing we're talking about here. Vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Evolution has something on science, doesn't it? It it describes it to the T. Describes evolution as to the T. Speaking of complexity... Your brain is the most complex arrangement of matter anywhere in the universe. We don't even understand the brain the way Yahweh created it. How did the brain figure out how to think and how to hear and how to see and how to smell and how to operate and control all the systems of your body? Each self-operating function is a miracle in itself, and you and I aren't even aware of it happening. We just know, I'm here. I see, I smell, I touch, I feel. You know, I can run, I can talk, I can think. How would primitive clueless cells without guidance and completely stupid have a goal of developing into a marvel of complexity and sophistication like the brain? How did that happen? What grand plan did Pierce Chance deliver to create a brain that with such complexity that we can't even figure it out with that brain. The very brain that supposedly evolved in our heads. It's, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Truly amazing. Your brain controls your organs, including your heart, that, by the way, pumps in a lifetime 600,000 metric Tons of blood, six times the weight of an aircraft carrier. That's how much blood is going to go through your heart in a lifetime. 600,000 metric tons of blood. If you lined up all your veins and arteries and capillaries end to end, they would extend 80,000 miles. Yeah, we put it all into a single body. Miraculous. How did stupid cells come together to develop into veins and arteries to transport that blood from one part of the body to another? 
How did they do that? How did they know? How did they know how to shape themselves and bind together into tubes like arteries and, and uh, blood vessels, uh, arteries and veins, to transport that blood? How did they know how to do that? There's no answer from the evolutionist. He has no answer. Once depleted of oxygen and nutrition that the cells need, the blood returns to the heart to get, and the, the lungs to get oxygenated and to pick up uh, nutrition from the intestines so the process can repeat again and again. What mindless cells suddenly became smart to direct this whole drama from the brain? It just took eons of time, the evolutionist argues. The scene could not have developed, could not have evolved over billions of years because all the cells would die in the meantime unless it functioned perfectly and immediately from the start. And this is another conundrum for the evolutionists because there are certain things on this earth that have to go together to complement each other. They have to be there like, like a certain uh, bee in a plant that lives only on that one plant. They both have to evolve together or each of them dies. How did that happen? How could they have evolved together? What mind put that together? Unless it functioned perfectly and immediately from the start, the human would have perished. Everything has to come into existence at once or nothing would survive. No intermediate stages of elementary evolutionary development have ever been found. No intermediate, no half a, half a leg or, or half a wing or anything like that. You never see intermediate steps that one is busily, busily evolving into another form. No partial foot, no partial brain. I've just scratched the surface of utterly impossible. This idea that things evolved on their own really is. It's a theory without a mechanism. Creation is one incredible miracle after another. It's just astounding. Millions of miracles from the hand of Yahweh. Our language doesn't even have a word for it. There are no superlatives to describe it. No matter which direction we look from outer space to inner beings, we see marvelous, miraculous design. There it is. Yahweh put it there. Look at the amazing eye. The eye is so complex. Look at it, how it's able to see. The ear that hears sound by vibration of sound waves hitting the eardrum passed on to some little bones in the inner ear, which then are passed on to the brain in the form of uh, impulses. Who or what taught the ear how to do this? And... Why even to develop that capability? How did it even know there was sound out there that it had to subjugate, had to get in line with? I mean, there's so many questions that just insane trying to figure this all out by itself. There's more circuits in the inner ear than the telephone system of a large city. Surely, Mr. Darwin, surely you won't tell me that the ear understood the law of physics and how to turn sound into impulses, surely. You're not going to tell me that. And even more complex is your eye. Your eye just astounds me. It just astounds me. 
How did it know how light waves work and how to focus them on the back of the eyeball, the retina, so that it can transfer to an optic nerve so that it can go to the brain as an impulse and you can see? How did it know that? How did it know that the iris needs to open? I think it's the iris. It opens and closes so that we can see more in the dark. It opens up, closes down when you go out and brought sunlight so you don't get blinded. 137 million nerve endings pick up every visual message the eye sends to the brain. Your eye can distinguish over a million shades of color. How did it do that? How did it know? And it cleans and maintains itself when you're sleeping. You're not even aware of it. You know, you wake up a little sleep in your eye. Call it sleep. The eye cleaned itself. Please don't tell me it all came about by blind chance, Mr. Darwin. Even Darwin questioned the lunacy of complex self-development of such intricate, amazing organs when he said, get this, quote, to suppose that the eye with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical spherical and chromatic aberration could have formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, observe, absurd, absurd in the highest sense. He admits it. Maybe he did have a brain. <laughs> and here's another one for Mr. Darwin to explain. We don't see with our eyes. We see with our brain. And everything coming into our eyes is turned upside down. So the brain has to turn it right side up again so that you can see. How did that happen? How did it know how to do that? Incredible complexity and integration is all over the universe and how natural physical laws work, from carbon atoms to galaxies to physical laws. You know, the Earth is in the Goldilocks zone. It's just right temperature to cube. The same can be said of the design of the staining of living organisms. 87% of insects undergo complete metamorphosis, changing from a worm to an insect. The metamorphosis of the monarch butterfly defies evolution six ways to Sabbath. The caterpillar builds a tent called a chrysalis around itself, then its complex organs turn, at a certain point, pulp-like, like liquid-like. This should be the end of the caterpillar and the butterfly, according to evolutionists. I mean, a thousand times over. But instead, two weeks later, a beautiful butterfly breaks out of that tent with different and even more Remarkable capabilities. Compared to a complex machine like a car that disintegrates and quickly emerges as an airplane. There are endless aspects of creation evolutionists can't explain. Get them out of their theoretical clouds where they can just hide behind words and get them to explain it. Get them down to the nitty-gritty where it all happens and tell me how it happens. They can't explain it. Stand there 
stammering and stuttering, looking for an out. Ask them to explain the exact mechanism by which things supposedly evolved, all blindly, without direction, without a blueprint, or even a mind or creator behind it. Tell me how that worked. They have no answer. They just retreat back into the theoretical where they can hide behind the smoke screen of millions and billions, billions of years of chance mutations. As one astute observer said, evolution is a tangled mishmash of guessing games and figure juggling. Sir Francis Hoyle, a British mathematician and astronomer, likened the probability of spontaneous generation to this. Supposing that the first cell originated by chance is like believing a tornado could sweep through a junk pile of airplane parts and form a Boeing 747. Celebrated atheist Carl Sagan estimated the mathematical probability of the simplest form of light, I'm sorry, of life emerging from non-living matter is one to the two billionth power. Two billionth power. What does that mean to us? A Dr. Emily Borrell, who discovered the laws of probability, said the occurrence of any event where the chances are beyond 1 to 10 uh, in 10 to the 50th power is an event we can state with certainty will never happen. It'll never happen, no matter how much time is allotted. As someone put it, the chances compare to an exploding gymnasium filled with dice and each one landing on the number one. Evolutionists rely on random mutation and natural selection to explain how one species can evolve and survive into another with different characteristics. Mutations, they say. Mutations rely on pre-existing DNA, by the way, in the reproductive cells to be modified at the time of reproduction. How was that characteristic then carried over into the other cells? How does that work? Question, because changes are supposed to be produced by some outside stimulus or some outside need, how do these mutations get transferred to the DNA? This need get transferred to the DNA so it can produce something that'll satisfy that, you know, that'll, that'll work with that need. How does that work? Here's a conundrum. DNA cannot function without at least 75 pre-existing proteins. Notice the word, pre-existing proteins. But proteins are only produced at the direction of DNA. Hmm. So in other words, both must be present at the same time, but each relies on the other. How does that work? There are so many, millions of questions like this that the Mr. Wise Darwins of the world can't answer. Evolution is possible only with favorable and not harmful mutations, but most mutations are unfavorable. Enormous amounts of new DNA information are required to advance creatures from simple cells to making of skin, eyes, bones, nerves, and all of that. Muscles that make us up, make, make up us, our body. Even given three and a half billion years, there's not enough time. Simply is not enough time. Even if it could happen blindly. 
Besides, mutations don't add to genetic information. They take it away, like cancer. Cells that go rogue, they're destructive. They're mutated, and they're destructive, and they just keep growing and growing until they kill the body. Information can't be built up by mutations that lose it. Businesses can't make money losing a little and a little at a time. Almost all mutations are harmful, often pathological and even lethal. Think of cancer. The normal cells has checks and balances to protect against mutations, to protect against genetic errors. You know, natural selection was supposed to work with only the fit surviving. You know, the others, they die off, but the fifth, the fit uh, keep on going. That's, that's what Darwin said. But the sixth edition of his book, Darwin himself abandoned his own theory. Quote, natural selection is incompetent to account for the incipient stages of useful structures. Now he comes back and dismantles his old thinking. And I've just scratched the surface in showing the absurdity of evolution, the duplicity of various examples that evolutionists claim as proof, which in truth are just more solid evidence for creation. The more you see it, the more you say, oh, there has to be a creator. Has to be. Has to be a mind behind all of this. It's just too complex. A writer once interviewed a molecular biologist who says he must believe in two insanities at the same time. Well, what do you mean, he was asked. He said it would be insane to believe in evolution when you can see the truth for yourself. And it would be insane to say you don't believe in evolution when all government work, research grants, college lectures would stop and you would be relegated to the outer fringes and unable to earn a decent living. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? He said he had to live with the elephant in the room. What elephant, he was asked? Design, he said. The elephant moves around, takes up enormous room, loudly trumpets, bumps into everything, bumps into us, knocks things over, eats a ton of hay, and smells like an elephant. And yet we have to swear it isn't there. Harold Urey Nobel Prize winning laureate, said this, all of us who study the origin of life find that the more we look into it, the more we feel it is too complex to have evolved anywhere. We all believe as an article of faith that life evolved anywhere. We all believe as an article of faith that life evolved from dead matter on this planet. It is just that life's complexity is so great, it is hard for us to imagine that it did. So here they say, I have to believe in a, in a uh, theory that is impossible for different reasons. But they all have to play the game. Dr. I.L. Cohen quipped, I believe that one day the Darwinian myth will be ranked the greatest deceit in history of science. When this happens, many people will pose the question, how did this ever happen? Job 38, 1. Yahweh answered the evolutionists from the whirlwind. Actually answered Job, but he's, we'll stick in evolutionists there because it fits. Who is this that questions my, my wisdom with such ignorant words? 
Brace yourself because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. This is from the New Living Translation, by the way. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstones? As the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Yahweh asked the evolutionists, you explain it to me. Were you there? Acts 125, who changed the truth of Elohim into a lie and end up worshiping and serving the creator, the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. That's what they're doing. They're serving the creature more than the creator. They're looking to creatures, to what's been made and making a religion for themselves instead of honoring Yahweh, looking to Yahweh and saying, what a magnificent creation. I can't even understand it, but there it is. They call Yahweh's creating a myth because they lack a higher spiritual nature that would draw them to Yahweh. They're carnal and they're rebellious. The bottom line in the conflict between creation and evolution is the last sentence of this selection from Acts 17.24. Elohim that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is master of heaven and earth, Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek Yahweh, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and we move and have our being. And the times of this ignorance Yahweh winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent, to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. This is Yahweh's answer. This is Yahweh's answer. One day there will be a reckoning. One day all these smug, self-righteous men are going to realize it was all a myth. I believed and lived my life on the basis of a myth. And I ignored Yahweh. There will be a lot of repentance going on. I'm just glad I'm not the one that has to see it. Psalm 139, 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And my soul knows it well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.